Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. Welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors Podcast, Waterfowl Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Nick Johnson. Um, as of recording this episode, it is Tuesday, March 14th, and um, we are still waiting for these snow geese to get into the Dakotas, which is absolutely incredible. If I were to, uh, if I were to ask ChatGPT to get a waterfowl episode for March 14th on any given year, we'd be talking about how basically the snow goose hunting in the Dakotas would be in absolute full swing. And, um, I mean, birds even getting into North Dakota on a normal year this, this time of year. And, and it is, it is just not happening, and it doesn't look like it's really going to be happening anytime soon. So with this stall out in our hunting, um, and in the movement of the hunting season, basically, and everything staying south of the borders of the Dakotas, I figure we could do a little bit of uh, keeping tabs. Uh, we could keep, do a keeping tabs episode. Um, before we do that, though, there has been a little bit of snow goose movement that I noticed just a little bit ago on the uh, Los Bluffs formerly known as Squaw Creek National Wildlife Refuge. The um, snow geese went from, this is uh, February 22nd, they went from 1.35 million. The 27th of February, uh, 1.08 million. Uh, March 6th, 405,000. And March 13th, which would have been yesterday, down to 229,000. So the birds are starting to peel out of Los Bluffs, and uh, most of them have left there, but they're going to be running up into that 
pretty solid snow wall that we got going on in the Dakotas right now. And I believe that's even going to be um, continuing here for a little while longer. If we just looked, uh, I know that I was supposed to be uh, snow, goose, snow goose hunting with Dale, actually, this Thursday and Friday in South Dakota near Huron. And that is not happening. That has been canceled. I got to figure out what to do with my um, deposit. So I queued up a bunch of uh, interesting or otherwise uh, uh, cool tabs that I've been piling up on my phone. I got my tabs all the way down to about uh, 55 <laughs> just going through these uh, today. So let's start out with a tab that I got. Pretty interesting, um, and it's something that, it's come up on a couple of other podcasts before. I think Ramsey Russell had one, a real good one, about this exact subject, and this is uh, coming to you from Bridge, Michigan, Michigan's nonpartisan nonprofit news source. The article is entitled, Michigan Mallards are in decline, are domestic ducks weakening their genes? If you're not aware, uh, there's a little bit... From what I can remember of that Ramsey Russell podcast, there is like duck clubs and shooting clubs all throughout the past century have just been releasing, and I think even like conservation groups have been releasing domestic quote unquote mallards into the wild mallard population to try to increase the numbers or increase, um, increase the abundance of mallards or do canned hunts on quote-unquote domestic mallards. And then, you know how, like, if you do, like, a canned pheasant hunt, they always say, like, yeah, if you don't, whatever you don't kill dies off, you know, this winter. They don't know how to survive out in the wild. Well, apparently these domestic, quote-unquote, mallards do, and their genetics have been intermixing with wild mallard populations. And they had something about how they just have a different type of food and dietary necessity, and they've been hybridizing with regular mallards. Anyways, let's read this a little bit. Bullet point, Michigan mallard duck population has been waning for years. Bullet point, genetic mixing with domestic ducks may be to blame. After a brief rebound last year, Michigan's mallard duck populations have declined, a, continued a decades-long decline that scientists have scientists eyeing game farms as a possible culprit. Mallard populations throughout the mid-continent have been on the rise since the early 2000s, but the subgroup that frequents the Great Lakes has shrunk from more than half a million birds in 1995 to fewer than 140,000 today. And I have to admit, I did not realize that was uh, in that severe of a decline. That's fucking horrible. If you're going from 500,000... In 1995, which was just 30 years ago, damn near not even, that is not good, to 140,000. It's not just Michigan, but in Wisconsin and in Minnesota as well, says Barbara Avers, a waterfall and wetland specialist with the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. We've been concerned about it for quite some time. God damn. Avers presented the latest figures to the members of the Michigan Natural Resources Commission Thursday. Surveyors counted 138,713 mallards last year, down 55% from 2021 and 59% below the long-term average. Um, this was despite having some pretty decent breeding habitat conditions for wetland. All right. How do... Okay. Okay, so now we know that Michigan mallards, Wisconsin, Minnesota mallards may be in decline. They're blaming domestic mallards and game farms, but how? I'm scrolling down a few paragraphs here. Um, 
So far, about half of the birds sampled through Luckinen's Great Lake Regional Survey are a genetic cross between wild mallards and their farm-raised relatives. There is evidence to suggest that like barnyard chickens, those domestic mallards are not built for life in the wild, Aver said. They're bad at making nests and work worse at diligently sitting on them. They feed differently, don't migrate as regularly, regularly, and they tend to favor urban areas over natural wetlands. Add it all up and hybridization may have left Michigan's flocked, Michigan's flocks not as fit for survival. While state species managers await the results of Lekonen's study, Avers said they're recommending no changes to duck hunting regulations, which allow up to six ducks per day during the 60-day season. Researchers research has shown that hunting pressure isn't a drive isn't driving down mallard populations. Unfortunately, says Joe Genzel, a regional spokesman for the waterfowl conservation group Ducks Unlimited, the damage done by a century of releasing domesticated ducks into the wild is irreversible. The genes are already there, Genzel says. You can't go back to the 50s and 60s and tell those folks not to stock their game farms with mallards. But there is some hope of reversing wetland losses that have also imperiled ducks. Governor Gretchen Whitmer on Wednesday signed a supplemental budget that de dedicates $10 million to wetland restoration in Saginaw Bay and Erie watersheds. Blah, 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 blah. Huh. That's pretty crazy. Uh, God, I wish I could remember who actually did this podcast, and I'm, I'm like 99% sure that it was on Ramsey Russell's, but uh, Ramsey Russell's podcast, that's worth a Google. If this... Um, if this interests you at all, like how this domestic mallard population, they had some really, I can't remember if this was on his podcast or maybe I read it somewhere else too, but I mean, there's some numbers that they had. Obviously, there's not solid numbers when you're just talking about game farms raising their own mallards and releasing them for people to shoot. But I think some like Department of Natural Resources had like some solid numbers of how many mallards they had released into the wild just to kind of bulk up their flocks, well, it looks like it might have had a detrimental effect on it. Again, this is an article from Bridge, Michigan, and the article is entitled, Michigan Mallards are in decline, are domestic ducks weakening their genes? Let's move on. Federal duck stamp. Ah, man, I got caught up in one of these articles again. It's just kind of interesting when you read about federal duck stamp and the money that it creates and how much habitat that is conserved since they came up with that in uh, like 1930 or something like that. Also, uh, my interest was kind of piqued by this because people have been uh, over the last couple of years putting in like comically hilarious um, entries into the federal duck stamp contest. And I put like one of them on my story recently for Snapchat and Instagram. It was like a a great white shark as a jet plane coming in to swoop in and like eat some mallards out of the sky. God, it was fucking awesome. Also, there's some uh there's a really really good uh uh last week tonight with John Oliver. Just look up John Oliver Federal Duck Stamp on YouTube and there's a great segment about federal duck stamps, how beneficial they are. I just got sucked into this article. There was a couple little interesting numbers in here that I can't seem to find right now, but that reminded me to tell you about that uh, that last week tonight with John Oliver, and also uh, yeah, look up comic or hilarious entries into uh, the federal duck stamp. There's some fucking awesome ones, which would be really awesome if like uh, <laughs> if one of those things actually won one year, and we just had this crazy off the wall <laughs> duck stamp. Even if a state let one win, like if a state 
let a great white shark as a fighter jet coming in to eat some mallards be their federal duck or their state duck stamp, I would actually pay the extra money to get the stamp sent to me. Like, I get it. Like, everybody likes the uh, beautiful artwork of the, uh, that, that's on the stamps already. But some funny ones, who knows? Maybe they would actually sell a little bit more. Here's a good article right now in, um, in the Ducks Unlimited uh, website. It's called Understanding Waterfowl Balanced Diets. Waterfowl eat a variety of foods throughout the year to meet changing nutritional needs. Let's, let's do a couple paragraphs of this together and we'll see if it goes anywhere because it is extremely interesting how ducks switch their, their macronutrients, you could say, over like as it becomes time for egg laying and when it comes time for migration, like different times of the year and the different foods that they're eating, especially some species like do a, like a total switch around. Okay, understanding the feeding habitats. Understanding the feeding habits of waterfowl has been at the core of waterfowl ecology since the earliest days of fields, but knowing what ducks and geese eat and how their diets change throughout the year, we can better manage wetlands and provide the food resources needed to supply healthy and diverse populations. All right, blah, blah, blah. Yep, they're just getting kind of the setup in. Winter is an energetically costly period for waterfowl due to their need to avoid predation, engage in courtship, and thermoregulate during bouts of ice and snow, which can limit access to food. Waterfowl feeding strategies and the foods consumed during winter are specialized and diverse, but consist largely of carbohydrate-rich plant materials such as natural seeds, agricultural grains, roots, rhizomes. When consumed, carbohydrates are broken down into the body as sugars, which the birds use as energy to meet daily needs. Excess energy is converted into fatty acid and stored as lipids or fat for migration and sustenance. During mid to late winters, most female ducks undergo a complete molt, which... Um, I didn't know this, but a lot of a lot of hens are are molting in the winter time when they're in their uh, like on the southern wintering grounds. Um, I did not know that. So till recently, um, except for their wing feathers, well, that just completely just blew uh, what I was about. <laughs> I should have finished that sentence first. I kind of thought like when female ducks were molting. I've heard of this before when they were molting down south that they lost their flight feathers as well, except this just totally says that they don't. Let's continue reading before I say something else that's dumb. This molt occurs over six to seven weeks and requires 30 to 100% more protein than normal. Ducks get this extra protein by increasing their consumption of aquatic invertebrates. Although agricultural grains contain large amounts of carbohydrates, they lack necessary amino acids and minerals, which must be acquired by eating natural seeds and invertebrates. Thus, supporting the nutritional needs of wintering waterfowl requires abundant wetlands that contain a variety of food types. So yes, I've heard people say that Females do not molt until they get to their wintering grounds, but I guess, uh, like an idiot, I guess, I always thought they meant like a total molt. Like, I was like, huh, that's weird. I've never heard of anybody, like, coming across, like, bunches of hens that couldn't fly before, but fuck, what do I know? I'm not down there in Arkansas and Mississippi and Alabama and Texas and Louisiana looking for molting hens. I guess I'm just going to have to take their word for it. Well, I didn't know that they uh, didn't replace their wing feathers during that season. So that must mean they do, what, wing feathers in the summer and body feathers in the winter? 
All right, whatever. I guess I'm just going to take their word for it again until I bring it up some other time and sound like an idiot again. Let's see. Unlike this, unlike excess energy, which can be compactly stored as lipids, proteins cannot be condensed and are typically stored as muscle. Flying with excess muscle mass increases energy expenditure, which is why most waterfowl obtain the necessary proteins for eggs production at or near breeding sites. This poses a limitation for geese and some sea ducks that begin nesting upon arrival on Arctic breeding areas before large quantities of nutritious forage become available. In these cases, geese obtain protein from plant shoots and roots on spring staging areas before departing for northern breeding areas. Nesting geese then rely on lipid stores and protein from their own muscles for egg production and energy, often losing more than 30% of their body mass. After the nesting period is over, the combination of nutrient-rich plant growth and nearly continuous daylight allows geese to forage intensively to restore their body condition. One, one thing I've always thought about articles that are like this... I think they're interesting, and they do have a bunch of cool facts in there and factoids, but one thing I've always felt is that these articles and maybe the scientists or people write, like writing them make them make like ducks and geese, I feel like, come off like too much of this like finely tuned race car of an entity of biology where they need like X percent carbohydrates and Y percent fat. And that will contribute to how much they will have to, you know, like evade predators and how many, how much energy they're burning. Like, I just don't see like where ducks and geese are just fucking starving and dying like on the southern wintering grounds. Like they seem like they're doing fine. Like it doesn't seem like, yeah, it's interesting that they have different nutritional needs and it seems like they just go get it. Like it doesn't seem like it's this, uh. Like, I almost feel like they're trying to say, like, maybe they're just trying to emphasize how incredible the animals are, which is true. But it, I'm, I get the feeling like they are always giving the impression like these animals like are on the brink of death. And the, and the resources they are, that is needed to be consumed uh, can only be provided to you by Ducks Unlimited, so donate now. That kind of a, a feeling. Like, uh, most of the ducks and geese out there, like, uh, seem like they're doing pretty good, if you ask me. Um, so I have this one, one weird, like, uh, vibe I've always gotten from this. Like, here's, uh, I'm going to keep reading here. Counting calories. During winter, food is the most limiting resource for waterfowl. Conservation planners use bioenergetic models to estimate habitat objectives to support the foraging demands of regional waterfowl populations. In a simplified way, bioenergetic modeling is like planning a child's birthday party. If 15 children will attend the party and each child will eat two slices of pizza and... Each pizza has eight slices. You'll need to order four pizzas. Likewise, bioenergetic models estimate foraging demand expressed in calories based on expected waterfowl numbers, the duration of the bird's stay in the region, and the average amount of energy the birds will require each day. You know, it feels like it's getting like a little... I'm glad somebody's out there doing it. And maybe the fact that, uh, in my observation, the birds seem to be doing just fine is a testament to how good... <laughs> like these people are doing at their jobs and uh maybe i'm completely misreading it which wouldn't surprise me okay we have some uh some updates from the government of manitoba which as you know or as you may have heard is implementing a lottery license system for foreign resident waterfowl hunters coming up next fall 
Um, there is an article. It is called A Guide to Changes in Migratory Game Bird Hunting Regulations for Foreign Residents in Manitoba 2023. If you are trying to get to Manitoba, which I would consider the best Canada goose hunting in North America that I've experienced is in Manitoba. Um, I know there's great areas for waterfowl or not for mallards and for other ducks in Manitoba. I just really haven't gone to, uh, and chased like ducks there enough. I know you go up around that Winnipeg area and uh, you're in the money. You're just in the money. So one thing that, I've, uh, that is an interesting thing about this is in Manitoba and in the southern portion of Manitoba, before this lottery license thing came out, every year foreign residents weren't allowed to hunt there until September 23rd. And there's only like, I think, 3,500 or 3,900 licenses being sold to foreign residents. And those people can really only hunt till about October 30th, really, before everything is all frozen. So they're talking about when they are justifying this license lottery, they're talking about this incredible pressure that foreign residents bring into the province, all 3,500 people for five weeks. They get the first three weeks all to themselves. The season starts September 1st there. So they get the first three weeks and a couple days all to themselves. No foreign residents are even allowed in there. But for that one month or one month and some change, these 3,900 people are causing so many problems that we need to regulate and actually reduce. And I, I'm sure, I, I don't know. If you guys want to read this, they've got their, um, they've got their bullshit justifications in here. And you know what? I, I get it. Uh, if I could, uh, kick everybody out of my hunting area so I could, uh, it could be all mine and I could vote it that way. Maybe I would, but I think this in general hurts hunters. And if you hurt hunters, you're going to lose hunters. We've lost half of our hunters in the last 30 years. And here, I just, I got another article in here that is kind of going, that I saw. Um, where did I put it? Well, I didn't put it in here. Anyways, they, they outlawed hunting in Georgia, not the state, the country. And the article I got was just, uh, where the fuck is that article? The article was just uh, saying that, I didn't know if it was like forever or for now. Yeah, but there's other places too. Like, um, I think the state of Victoria in Australia has had been dealing with some really um, um, high pressure banning hunting situations. That is not close in North America where we would see a situation where hunting gets banned but it is close and it has happened in other countries and the reason that i feel like they get to that point is because nobody hunts like nobody gives a shit about hunting and we have a representative government here in the united states if we lose our hunter numbers then we lose our representation if we lose our representation then who gives a shit if somebody you know, it's a, it's a, it's a long road to get to a point where we don't hunt. Maybe my grandkids or my great, great grandkids might see that in the future, but this is the road to it when we keep reducing hunter numbers. So that's kind of the, that's kind of a scary thing when, for me, when I 
Look at just these license lotteries and restrictions on people hunting my birds. These my birds, these migratory resource that... Yeah, and I've got another article in here too. I think I deleted it, but it was uh, from Sweden. Sweden's got a really big bird watching community and they did a study trying to see if anybody would be interested in helping out with these goose management groups that they got. And when they were finding that it was extremely difficult to get people interested in um in in uh, goose management on in in Sweden. And it's not very difficult for people to get interested in duck and goose management here in the United States because I believe that hunting sparks that interest where people become fascinated with the resource and protecting it and conserving it and growing it and helping other people become interested in the resource. But like, you see that in other countries. You see what could happen to us in other countries like Georgia, like Victoria State of Australia, like Sweden, like Sweden who is having an increase in goose numbers and they don't have the hunters to help try to control it. Hell, they don't even have the people interested in really helping the government figure out what's the best move to make and getting on these committees and um, that sort of thing just because people don't, they're just not fucking interested, which I think is is terrible for for conservation and for the environment and for the animals that, that we pretend to care about by, um, by banning hunting. If you're an animal lover, you want to ban hunting, but then you are killing out. You're also killing off the people who are interested in the resource and the people that are interested in seeing the resource succeed. I'm going to step down off my soapbox here. <laughs> um, let's get back to some different tabs. Oh, shit. And there it is right there. Are bird watchers willing to participate in local goose management? A case study from Sweden. So here, let me read the conclusion of this. Just so it doesn't sound like I'm talking about, talking on my ass. Conclusion. This study revealed a low willingness to participate in goose management among Swedish bird watchers. Not just among just Swedish dudes and chicks. Bird watchers. Thus suggesting that it may be difficult to involve them in local multi-stakeholder goose management. Recruiting participants to example goose counts may nevertheless be fruitful, especially active bird if active bird watchers are targeted rather than the broad member base of bird watching organizations. However, given that people have multiple identities, the distinct bird watcher identity needs to be made salient to encourage involvement since a large share of bird watchers are men and belong to older age groups. Special consideration should nevertheless be given to engage women and younger bird watchers to ensure diversity and continuity and stakeholder engagement. While the multi-level management system of geese in Sweden is emerging, emerging transparency and management outside of this system may be limited. To pave the way for involving broader range, blah, 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 blah. You get the point. So I did, I was able to find that article. Um... Check this out. Next one, migratory game bird status and proposed hunting seasons for 2023-2024. This is by the Maryland Department of Natural Resources. And they uh, actually, the reason I'm bringing this up on the podcast is they really made a nice like pictographic, infographic um, a little presentation here. It looks like it's like a bunch of, uh, a bunch of slides they put together maybe for a... Uh, for a uh, presentation or something like that, but they've got some really, really great stuff in here. So um, they've got here, they've got the 2022 habitat con conditions, 
They've got Eastern Survey Area population estimates for mallards, black ducks, wood ducks, green-winged teal, ringnecks, common golden eyes. They've got Traditional Survey Area population estimate, Eastern mallard information, Atlantic Population Canada goose monitoring. Here's a little nugget that I dug out of here. 103 GPS, GSM, solar-powered neck collars have been deployed. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but um, there's this kind of goes on and on. There's maybe about 20 slides on this that have everything from snow geese to doves to woodcocks to brants. And uh, the Maryland Department of Natural Resources really just made a nice, easy-to-read, kind of entertaining, um, informational... Um, uh, summary of their bird populations and their season proposals. And it's, it's actually kind of, uh, interesting and engaging to read. So that's that. I get, here we go. This is, uh, what I was talking about earlier, hunting of migratory birds. And now I'm finding all these tabs I couldn't find when I was actually talking about them. Hunting of migratory birds prohibited across Georgia. Hunting of migratory birds is prohibited throughout Georgia starting today. After the Environmental Protection Ministry's Department of Environmental Supervision announced the incoming restrictions on Tuesday, the body said the regulation was coming into force a day after the closing of the hunting season with offenders set to face fines. The fines... So this is where I got confused. The closing of the hunting season. So does that mean like, did this get lost in translation where it says hunting season is closed or now like going into the future, no more hunting in Georgia. So if you don't know, they shoot quite a bit of like specks in Georgia. And uh, speckle bellies are uh, actually an, a, a worldwide Arctic. It's what do they call it? Circumpolar arctic breeding goose so they're they're breeding on all sides of the all all, all sides and every flyway in the world has greater white-fronted geese they all have specs interesting article out of louisiana wildlife and fisheries and these ones always catch my attention uh because i want to know who was fucking up out there agents arrest repeat offender of hunting guide regulations in vermilion parish louisiana department of wildlife and fisheries enforcement agents arrested a kaplan man on january 30th for allegedly hunting guide violations in vermilion parish so i'm i, I kind of i keep my, i want to know what hunting guides are getting arrested for agents had previously cited Frederick on December 19, 2022, for six counts of failing to comply with hunting guide regulations. During a subsequent invest investigation, agent learned that Frederick again facilitated a guided goose hunt on December 23, 2022. Agents obtained an arrest warrant for Frederick on January 25, 2023. Agents made contact with Frederick on January 30th and arrested him for failing to comply with hunting guide regulations. Agents also had Frederick sign for citations issued from the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission for hunting with a suspended license and falsifying information in Arkansas at the end of 2022. Agents began investigating Frederick at the beginning of the 2022-23 season when they were informed about his license revocation. Frederick was under a license revocation and currently cannot possess a hunting guide license until 2027. Agents set up surveillance on Frederick and observed him take customers out on guided goose hunts in a rice field near Kaplan. Frederick's hunting guide business was called Feathered Rice Outfitters. Agents obtained customer statements about hiring Frederick for his services 
and found Frederick's ledger that showed monetary payments in return for past guided hunts and future guided hunts. Failing to comply with hunting guide rules and regulations brings a $400 to $950 fine per count. So this guy must not have, for some reason, he got his guide license taken away and then continued doing guided hunts. But if you go up and do uh, Google and you just put in like uh, waterfall hunting guide arrested search, then scroll over where it says all images, videos, go to news and you'll see... Um, some pretty entertaining shit in there about hunting guides, waterfall hunting guides, getting arrested for all sorts of crazy shit. And it's usually, this isn't that bad. I mean, this guy, what, he, okay, I don't know why he got his license taken away in the first place. Let's uh, take not take that into account. For whatever reason, he's not supposed to be guiding, and he is guiding. That is mild compared to some of the shit I've read on Google News, like the Google News reports, where it's like, some guide out in Maryland who already is on probation for some other wildlife crimes takes out two agents from the Fish and Wildlife Service, undercover agents. He brings them to a baited pond where they proceed to shoot their limit of geese. And then Billy Bob, the guide, has his buddy pull up in a truck, gives the geese to the guy in the truck, and tells the undercover agents to keep shooting. Like, it's shit like that. Like, it's egregious egregious nonsense and uh if you've never done that before it's it's kind of funny and there's some pretty interesting like big operations that have gone on where they've busted like tons and tons of guides like at one time like in the 90s on the texas coast i can't remember what that was called but anyways that is uh if you're bored at work or something that's worth worth a google for you there's also here i have a Pretty interesting article that I have not scanned through because it is big and long and intimidating, but it's got some really good stuff in here about duck breeding, and it is called Wetland Occupancy by Duck Broods in Cropland-Dominated Landscape of the United States Prairie Pothole Region. So this has got a bunch of uh, a bunch of neat pictures in there, which is good for me. There's a bunch of great information on there, but if that's a subject that piques your interest, give that also a Google you'll be able to find this um, study that came up. Again, that's Wetland Occupancy by Duck Broods in Cropland-Dominated Landscape of the United States Prairie Pothole Region. Hey, I tell you what, guys, I think that's going to do it for me. This, uh, this episode's been brought to you by Boss Ammunition. Um, if you guys haven't tried out Boss, please do. Uh, just give it a shot. And if you, I think that you will find that you will switch over from shooting steel shot to shooting boss. You're going to have less cripples. You're going to have less pellets in your meat. You're going to have less running around, less lost birds, less fucking around during a hunt. Also, if you guys want to, if you guys would like to try out an awesome goose call, try out that Nick Johnson Signature Series Pacific Calls. And hey, if you're trying to learn how to blow it better, why not pair it with the Goose Tech app? I'd really appreciate it if you guys would uh, give those that app and that goose call a shot. And if you need help with anything, always feel free to reach out to me. I am uh, open book and I'm definitely willing to help out anybody with their goose calling. Anyways, thank you very much for tuning in. And until next time, we'll catch you bird nerds later.